Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins. I am honored and privileged to have the opportunity to feature best-in-class leaders straight from the medtech industry on all things talent-related. I personally, I run a company called the Anthony Michael Group, helping professionals and organizations across the medtech industry. So that includes medical device, digital health, diagnostics businesses, to build high-performing teams primarily on the technical side, areas like regulatory, quality, R&D, clinical. We've got a budding commercial practice doing market access, but we work coast to coast. But today, I'm excited to have Leslie Hackett with us. Leslie has over 15 years of recruiting and staffing experience, specifically as a contractor across many different industries. Uh, currently, Leslie serves as a senior talent acquisition consultant for a company called Relevant Med Systems, which is a privately held medical device organization headquartered out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. The company is on a mission to transform the diagnosis and treatment of vertebrogenic pain. With over 30 years of research, the company developed the Intracept Procedure, which is a minimally invasive procedure that targets the base of vertebral nerve for the relief of chronic vertebrogenic low back pain. So it's a fancy way of saying the company really targets low back pain. Without further ado, Leslie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on today, Mitch. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm privileged and honored. Like I said, it, it's exciting to have you because we're going to talk about a topic that out of all the episodes that we have here on the podcast, we have not really covered yet. And uh, I think that you're the perfect person to have to kind of help us through this episode. That is the idea of contract recruiting and the ins and outs of being a contract recruiter. So I mentioned at the beginning, you know, you've been in this game for just about as long as maybe a little bit longer than I have. I've been doing this almost 15 years. You've been doing it a little over 15 years. And if I look over the course of your career, most of it, if not all, really has been in contract recruiting. Is that right? Most of it has been. Yes, that's true. Okay, awesome. So take us back. I mean, how did you become a recruiter in the first place? And, and more specifically, how did you decide to kind of go at it from a contract perspective? Sure. Well, I got into recruiting because I just love the human aspect of business and just trying to figure people out, figure out what makes people tick. So I love recruiting and, and interviewing people. And I always love learning um, something new from everyone that I, that I talk with. And then as far as how I got into contract recruiting, I had a gap on my, my resume from after the time that I was, you know, home watching kids. I thought I was going to get back into the workforce, then kind of fought off cancer. Thanks to God for that. And there was this big gap on my resume. And I thought, how am I going to get back into the workforce? And I thought, well, you know, I've heard about contract recruiting. And I thought, well, maybe that would, you know, lend itself to more flexibility. And sure enough, it did. And so started doing that and just have really enjoyed it. I love learning new things at new companies and just seeing all the different types of cultures and everything has just been really a joy. So, well, first of all, kudos to you. I did not know about the, the cancer's bout. So yeah, grateful. It was a while that, ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. Grateful that you're okay. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the different companies and the different cultures and kind of bouncing in and out, it reminds me in a way of third-party recruiting. That's one of the benefits that I see is that 
we get to work with so many organizations across the board of all shapes and sizes, different attitudes, different mindsets, different philosophies, obviously the same. And similarly, in, in contract recruiting, I think this conversation that we're having right now is so relevant to the market that we're all facing. And you see that these companies, they went, you know, just within the last 18 months, they went bonkers as far as building up their internal talent acquisition teams. Now they're letting them all go. And we've seen this time and time again over the last 15 years where it's this up and down and, you know, bless the hearts of these recruiters who constantly are dealing with this. We need you. We need you yesterday. We need you yesterday. And sorry, we overhired. We got to let you go. We don't have enough work for you. And so I'm curious from your perspective, being a contract recruiter, what do you like about it? What do you like about the aspect of really not necessarily being tied in full time, but, you know, working with all different shapes and sizes of companies? Yeah. So I have really enjoyed the flexibility. So you don't have to wait to earn PTO. You just would politely let a company know when you need to be out of the office. I like the variety. It's There's always something new, which is to me exciting. You get to skip some of the more mundane, you know, trainings or meetings and kind of focus on what you enjoy. So those are things, some, a few of the things that I like. What don't you like? So every once in a while, you come across an organization that really differentiates how they treat contract, you know, employees versus regular employees. And so and this may be more of a thing of a, the past because it seems like that hasn't been the case as much lately. You know, you might not be included in certain parties or other benefits, you know, that permanent employees get to enjoy, um, which can make you feel a little bit isolated at times. There's Interesting. little if any, any, yeah, there's little if any PTO, depending upon what agency you're going through. And so, and, and no paid holidays, probably. Again, it varies from, from agency to agency. Um, so that, you know, anytime you're taking time off, you're like, okay, there's no, there's no money coming in then. So, and, you know, maybe some missing some development opportunities, you know, could be a con as well. So I was at a company and they had this Excel training and I signed up to go and they were like, oh, sorry, you can't come. You're a contractor. <laughs> so, wow. you know, that, yeah. So every once in a while, you'll just run into something like that. I'm listening to you say some of these things. And I'm thinking if I was running the business and I had somebody who was an extension of our team on a contract basis, why would I not want to include them in our cultural activities to kind of hit build the workforce together, right? Especially if they're there. Leslie, on average, how long would you say your contracts have been? Usually at least six months. Okay. So if I had somebody working with us for at least six months, you would think you'd want them integrated with the rest of our team. But and that's interesting. Do. Yeah. That's interesting perspective. Do you run your own business as an LLC setup or are you usually a temporary W-2? How are you paid? That's an excellent question and I've done it every way possible. So I do currently have Leslie Hackett Recruiting LLC. I just recently set that up before my most recent contract um, so that I could, you know, be insured and everything. Prior to that, I've been W-2. There was one company that enabled me to use, you know, to take advantage of their 401k with matching and then, you know, some nice, you know, employee discounts. I've done 1099 before, and I've also utilized some agencies. And, you know, there's some, there's some very good agencies out there. I haven't had issues with, you know, those that I've used. You know, I've, you hear every once in a while horror stories. Well, I didn't get paid by that, you know, that agency. And I've never run into anything like that. So, but they do vary. So one of the things I, you know, outside of contract recruiting, I know in, with contract professional level contractors that we've worked with is that there's really, I think, a couple schools of where contractors come from. One is this is their business. They have a business. They constantly have work and they run a consultancy. Another one is where 
they rely on agencies to bring them work and they try to have enough agencies in their stable to constantly have enough work fed to them to maintain a stable income that they want, whether that's six months of work and they want to take six months off or it's that they want to work around the clock for the whole calendar year. The other bucket is somebody who perhaps has been laid off and wants to bridge the gap and wants to do some contract work. And then there may be one more bucket that I know of where somebody is working full time but wants to be brave and say, you know what, I want to get into the contract world. I realize that I'm going to potentially have a little bit of a risk leaving my full-time situation to get my first gig, but then I'm hoping that I can build the momentum from there and, and kind of hit the ground running. When you look at how you've established your chain of work that you've had over the years, contract to contract, has it been you going out and soliciting the business? Has it been relying on others that knew you or agencies that came to you? How have you really gone from contract to contract pretty smoothly? That's another great question. And it's been remarkable because it has been smooth throughout my entire career as far as I've always worked when I wanted to work. And, you know, there have been times where I've taken a little time off here and there, but anytime I've wanted to work, I've been able to. And I try and utilize a few different resources. So the hardest part is getting started, right? So it's that first contract. But after that, you build your reputation. So building reputation has been key and always making sure that you leave every place on a positive note, even if it's not a positive experience, you can leave it, you know, on a positive note. And I've utilized agencies. So I'll put my name out to a few agencies, you know, put a few calls in and say, hey, I'm available again, coming, you know, in a few weeks or whatever. And so I've got them looking for me. I might reconnect with people that I've, you know, contracted for in the past and say, hey, you know, I'll be back on the market. You know, let me know if you hear of anything. So reaching out to your network, you know, on LinkedIn can be useful too. The way it worked this past summer, things were so hot that I almost had to do nothing other than, you know, click on LinkedIn that I was available and the phone's ringing a number of times a day, you know, so you've got options, lots of options. Mm -hmm. So, yep. and maybe the market's different now, but that's what it was like then. So, yeah. Just about every which way, W2, 1099, through an agency, now you've set up your LLC. For somebody who's getting into this or maybe has, in it, has been in it, but hasn't necessarily worked all the different ways you, you mentioned, do you have a recommendation? Would you set up, would you have, would you recommend setting up an LLC and, and running it through their own business? Or what would you say? I would say if you're just getting started, it's helpful to use an agency because they've got a lot of contacts and resources and they can kind of just take care of things. It's, it's sort of a no brainer. You send them your time and then you're, you know, you're, you're done. Everything's taken care of for you. If you're already established out there and people are, you know, asking, hey, can you come work for us? Then that could make sense to form an LLC. If you've got a great relationship with a company that might hire you directly as a project employee, as a W, you know, W-2, that would be ideal. I don't know that you can expect that in most cases, yep. but that's kind of a sweet deal. Sort of everybody wins. Yep. I would say, I would probably agree with you. I would say the W-2 option is probably the most streamlined, effective, beneficial to the contractor. If you can't do that, that's where I would start to look at the benefits of having a corporation instead of having to deal with a 1099 as an independent contractor, you know, through your name. But I'm so excited to get your answer on this next question because you've seen so many different circumstances. I'm sure that you have your own process, your own formula. When you come into a company as a contractor, how are you coming in, getting ready to hit the ground running? What, is, what do you do from day one to kind of really kind of get your feet underneath you and understand what's going on and be ready to 
to really hit it uh, from a recruitment perspective for that company? That is another great question. And you're right. There are some little things that I do that I sort of make assumptions that most people do. But if you're not a, you know, if you're not constantly getting new jobs, you probably don't know to do this. So I start out with the old fashioned loose leaf three ring binder with sections. And whenever, you know, I'm, I'm taking notes, you know, during training or, you know, first day at the top of each page is a new topic. So that way I can categorize and put things into different sections based on, you know, what, what the topic is, you know, whether it's, you know, positions or passwords or, you know, whatever it is that I, you know, need to be taking notes on, they're all categorized. Um, sometimes people that start a new job will start with, a spiral binder, and then they can't find their notes. They're like, okay, I know I took 20 pages of notes. I don't know where, you know, where that is because they don't have the, they don't have the sections. So that's one little thing. I make sure that I kind of provide a list of things that I know I will need to the hiring leader, like access to HR shared drives and folders, contacts of people for any of the vendors that they use, and just things that they might not think about um, initially that I know I run into every time. It's like, okay, I know I'm going to need this and this and this. And then I oftentimes will send myself via email some standardized templates that I use that I save in my signatures. And so they're just all set to go. Maybe even before I have been assigned a position, I've got all of these email templates that are ready to roll. And then just also, I think, asking the hiring leader about their preferences regarding their electronic files. Sometimes, you know, they might be so busy, they haven't had an opportunity to organize their files. So then I'll suggest, hey, here's what I've done in the past. Would this work for you as far as how I organize my files? Because I want the hiring leader to be able to see the work that I'm doing, to have full access to it. And so that's, you know, those are just some of the things that I do. So I want to recap that. So every new contract you take on, you start with a three ring binder and you kind of categorize it based on the notes that you're taking, whether it's about positions or about passwords. You basically have a section, a tab for each. You also have a list, kind of a, a list for yourself of what you're going to need so that you can go through it with the hiring manager, whether it's access to the shared drives or, you know, a list of who they might be, you know, partnering with for help. And then you come prepared with some templates that have been tried and true for yourself that you're ready to go to use against your new rec load. Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. You got it. Awesome. I want to turn that on its on its head, so to speak, and talk about the other side. I'm sure there's been companies that were super prepared and dialed in and ready for a contractor to come in and they kind of had things ready and maybe had a process that was really smooth. And there's probably others that you walked into a hornet's nest and they relied on you to kind of build that process. What can companies do to embrace a contract recruiter and help them hit the ground running as smoothly as possible? What, what do you suggest they're prepared and ready with before that contractor starts? Well, that's yeah, another great question. I wish more companies would think about that before hiring a new employee. But making sure that they have all their electronic access that they need, I can't, I think there's probably been one company in all of my years that was fully prepared for a new employee to come in. And they had, you know, a nameplate sitting at my spot. They had, you know, sitting at my desk. Here's how the phones work. Here's, you know, here's all your passwords you're going to need, you know, to they just had everything all organized. It was just amazing. It was a fantastic, you know, new employee experience. And it's very rare. Most of the time when a contractor's called, it's because, you know, they're trying to put out fires. 
And so that's the expectation that I go in with understanding that they things have been really busy. So making sure that a company has full access to, you know, gives full access to that new employee, passwords, Wi-Fi passwords, maybe have them partner initially with somebody from IT right when they walk in the door. Just have that on the calendar so that they're able to make sure everything's working the way it should be. I've sometimes been working at a place three weeks before I realized I don't have access to this file that you're referring to, you know, and a list of who's who, who to contact for, you know, for HR questions, who to contact for IT questions. So that would be really helpful to new employees as well. You know, so I think those are a few a few tips that could be helpful. As you were talking through that, I'm thinking about so many of the full-time hires that we placed two, three weeks and still didn't have their laptop set up and couldn't access certain things. And the hiring manager's like, why aren't you turning this in? They're like, what are you talking about? IT hasn't even given me the password for that program. Right. So absolutely. I think this goes across the board is, you know, we talk about uh, candidate experience. You know, that's the latest buzz is all about candidate experience and getting them through a recruiting process. But I think this onboarding piece is so critical. It's not just the meet and greets. It's more so can, do they have access to what they need to be effective from day one? Right. right. So huge I think stuff. Ask, yes. A- and asking employees, are you a PC or a Mac person? <laughs> that can be huge too. I've had that surprises is huge. in that regard before. That's a great point too. Especially in a remote environment these days, you know, if, if people are used to something at home and they're getting sent a laptop or whatever, and it happens to be a MacBook, but they're using a, a Windows computer and they're like, what is this? I don't know how to do this. So. That's a really good point. I want to talk a little bit deeper about this, though, as far as making a contract recruiter successful. And I'm wondering your opinion about, you know, you come into a place and you have your own opinion on on how things are running or how things maybe should change to make it more effective. What's your experience as far as actually getting buy-in and being respected as a voice, as an opinion, versus being like, you're here contingent, you know, on a contingent basis, we've got our process, you integrate yourself into ours or, you know, or not. It's up to you. What do you think about that hard-headedness versus actually valuing and taking the opinion of a contractor? What's been your experience and what's your recommendation as far as how to make that better? Yeah, I think most of the time it's been a pretty positive experience. They're looking for somebody to come in and help them. And so you're able to come in and, you know, sometimes be the hero. And I think some keys to really help that, I mean, first and foremost is your attitude. So, you know, making sure that, I mean, you try to be a blessing, be a valuable partner, be somebody who is able to kind of quickly earn their trust, be a partner to the hiring leader. You know, I try to do my homework before a meeting, you know, so that I look like I I care. I do care, but, you know, I want to make sure that they see that I care. I think it's important to, ex- to respect the existing status of a company. Some company, I mean, we're all a work in progress, right? And you can show that willingness to help out with processes and, you know, improvements as a partner with them in a non-condescending way. Um, you might see opportunities that you can say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to do what you've done. Here's some other ideas. Just let me know what you prefer. And so I think that kind of approach is appreciated. I try to always stay in communication with hiring managers and try and be as responsive as I can. And I also, you help, you have to help companies get to know your values quickly. So a lot of times it's been one person that you've interviewed with instead of many people. And so that, you know, hey, if you ever have any issues, if I ever run into any issues, I'll make sure I loop you in as soon as possible. You know, there. if I discover an issue about myself, you'll be the first to hear about it from me. I'm not perfect. 
you know, mistakes might occur. And if they do, and if I catch them, I'll let you be aware of them, you know, first and foremost. So just having that really open, humble attitude that I am here for you, I'm here to help you. And I think most people have been very responsive to that. And they're just glad that you're there and glad that you're there to help them. So it's for the most part. Yeah, to sum up what you're saying, it sounds like it's really you got to gain trust to get trust. And the more that you can put in the effort to demonstrate that, look, you're there because you want to stick. You want to be integrated. You want to be a a value-added partner. You want them to get the return on the premium that they're paying for a contractor you know, versus what they're paying on on a full-time basis. And the more that you can invest, the more that you're going to gain that trust more quickly to say that this person really is here to help us. Yep, absolutely. No, well said. Have you ever had a situation where you felt like you had value to offer and changes to help make and you just kind of met these roadblocks where they didn't see it that way and they just wanted you to do it the way they wanted, even though you didn't think it was right? You know, not very often. Every once in a while, you'll you'll come into an organization. I remember coming into an organization where I knew they weren't going to be able to change this factor. It was a, a particular individual that I think was causing some organizational issues and was causing people to leave. And, you know, I discussed it with the hiring leader and, and we both knew that that person was going to be there always. And we weren't going to be able to change that. And so what I did, for example, in my interviews with candidates would say, say, here, here are the challenges of the position. How will you respond to this kind of a scenario? Will that bother you? Won't it bother you? And so I ended up, instead of being able to change the organization, interviewing people in such a way that we made sure that people were had a heads up before coming in. Here's the challenge that you'll face. And I think fewer people are going to leave if they know what they're getting into, as opposed to the, uh, you know, maybe an, uh, perhaps an unpleasant surprise. Yep. And that's so true. I feel like transparency about what this is and what it isn't is so important because they're going to find out anyways. And oh, all absolutely. that time, all that effort on everybody's behalf is kind of out the window if you're not transparent, because that's kind of the other thing, too, is funny, like in dating, where we're all a, an enhanced version of ourselves at the beginning. And then sooner or later, you find out who that person really is, right? So the point is, sooner or later, you're going to find out who you're working with and who the company is. You might as well be as transparent and honest as you can on both sides. I'm curious, you know, when you have the opportunity to be a part of so many different missions and value systems and cultures, do you find it hard? Like, for example, in our space, in, in, in medical device or the life sciences at large, a lot of people are drawn to certain therapeutic areas or certain types of devices or because they want to help certain types of patients. Maybe it's near and dear to their own hearts. You have the opportunity to kind of be agnostic to that and you go where the work is, where they need help. And whether you're working with an oncology-based company one day or a lower back pain company the next day or, you know, uh, food and beverage the next day, whatever it may be, you're tied to all these different types of, of businesses. Do you find it hard for yourself to stay connected or committed to that type of mission or value system, knowing that it's on a temporary basis? How do you deal with that? I don't. So I try to only take jobs at companies that I believe in because I can only sell a company that I truly believe in from a recruiting standpoint. And so I do, I am selective when I am looking for opportunities. And I tend to jump in with both feet to try and add that value as soon as possible. The hard part for me is once you form those relationships, it's having to leave. And so 
I try not to say goodbye. I just say, hey, you never know when our paths may cross again, whether at this company or, you know, another one. You know, if you follow a leader around for a while, you know, I've gone to companies repeatedly for years before, you know, coming and going as they need me. And I'll remember my, you know, my employee ID from, you know, one time to the next. And so I just pick up wherever I left off and I have files for each place where I've worked too. So I can just pick it up if I ever go back. And so it's amazing because you end up with some long-term relationships from those contracts. And so your network just keeps expanding. That's awesome. I want to wrap with this. For those listening out there who are like, huh, you know, I've been in recruiting before, but it's always been full-time or I know some friends who are contractors or Maybe there's people who just got laid off from their full-time recruiting job and they're trying to figure out what to do. I don't want to spoil, I don't want to give away what you would say, but who should consider contract recruiting? I think if someone does not need like those insurance benefits, and even agencies still do provide insurance benefits, they're just not as good as, you know, on a permanent role, usually. If you are flexible to be able to, you know, not have to rely upon those benefits, and you're adaptable, I think it's definitely worth a try. I've had previous bosses who kind of watched my career over years and they ended up, you know, kind of wanting to go into like a pre-retirement thing. They weren't ready to completely quit working, but they just weren't, you know, wanting the regular job. They kind of did what I did. They were like, you know, I've kind of watched you. I think I might be interested in that. They love it. And so I would say it is worth a try. And if you're not, I mean, there are so many different options out there right now, and it may depend upon your market too. So here in Minneapolis, we have a great job market right now. I realize it's not like that everywhere. So you do have to know your job market. But if you're adaptable, interested, don't need to rely upon those benefits and can be somewhat flexible, I think it's a really fun option. So that being said, I feel like a little bit of a hypocrite here. So I love Relievant Med Systems so much that we actually are discussing the opportunity for a permanent role. So I feel a little bit like a Oh, a wow. Hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite. You just happen to have found a beautiful home. That's awesome. yeah, per- perhaps. We're, we'll hope so. We'll, we'll see. But uh, anyway, so I just had to throw that out there in case somebody looks on my LinkedIn account in a few weeks or something. <laughs> well, you know what? And to your point, this is an unbelievable way to try before you buy too. Absolutely. Because you wouldn't have known that about Relieving had you not come on on a contract basis. That's true. Um, so, well, pre-congratulations. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you on that. <laughs> Thank you. One last question that I thought of as you were mentioning your answer. Over the years, especially pre-COVID, were you in a position where you were working remotely or were these companies that had asked you to come into the office to be their contract recruiter? I've done everything. So I've been completely remote, never going to the office. I have been completely on site. I've been hybrid and so, you know, have all of all the above. So has that been your choice or uh, upon the company's request of how they wanted it? It's been both. Yep. So, again, I can be flexible. I can be adaptable. When I take a contract, I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, going someplace driving, you know, an hour each way. So I I won't even look at those opportunities. So I try and make sure that if it is something that's not completely remote, I make sure that it's a drivable, you know, feasibility. So well, great stuff. Leslie, I appreciate uh, your experience and all the nuggets that you shared with the audience today. If it's okay with you, like we do with the other episodes, I'll include a link to your LinkedIn profile on uh, in the show notes so people could check out 
what you've done and perhaps, you know, if there's any connections that we make as a result of the, of the podcast for you, maybe it's uh, continue to build, build network. So um, all in all, thank you so much for being here today. Really do appreciate well, it. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content rich episodes, log on to the anthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.